We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And today we're going to turn our attention to Darvin Ham. One of my favorite things of a new coach coming in is kind of learning what they're about. Uh, learning what their plan A is, learning how they adjust, how they adapt on the fly. There's that old saying in sports that the one of the uh, longest distances to cover is that distance between the assistant coach's chair and the head coach's chair, even though it's just one seat over. And so we've learned a bit about Darvin Ham. And one of the things that has stood out to me, there, there have been several, but he is much more inclined to solve his problems by going smaller. That's something that I look for in a coach is how do you solve your problems? You're going to have problems pop up both big and small throughout the course of the season. Right now we're in the middle of a big problem with having Anthony Davis out. But and we've talked so much, D, about the construction of the roster and how it's so guard heavy. Seven of the 14 players are guards. I've been making lists about the Lakers and who plays what position pretty much my entire life. That's how I got my way through high school in a lot of ways was in that back of the class, you know, with the last name starting with the letter Z, just writing little lists of, all right, these are the guys on my team and these are the positions they play. I don't think I've ever had a version that had this many guards on it. It's usually five. We've got seven. And we've so we've talked a lot about that over the course of this pod, but there's also been in game an inclination to go small. There have been several uh, options, several times where that's something where he could have gone in a different direction, but he's chosen to play smaller. And so I want to start there. D, we've talked a lot about the construction of the roster, but Darwin has chosen to go that direction as well. And so that surprised me. That's not something that I expected prior to the season. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, it surprised me as well, particularly since he came from Milwaukee, where the Bucks played bigger. And Giannis is this sort of one-of-one one player in the same way that LeBron is a one-of-one one player, in the same way that Anthony Davis is a one-of-one one player. Playing Giannis at center full-time, I guess, isn't on the table so much. Mm -hmm. But playing the types of lineups that he did and playing two bigs for a lot of the game, I just thought, 
hey, that's what he's going to do. But maybe we should have taken more stock in those Atlanta days, Mike, where like Josh Smith was the power forward and Al Horford was was the five. And it was a lot of stretch players and and playing smaller like Joe Johnson is is your small forward or here's Kyle Korver, right? Like more specialist types of guys. So I'm looking at Darvin and. I'm still inclined, Pete, to say like you talk about like, oh, well, there's seven guards and that's true. I tend to look at things like who plays to me is more like who are the better options on the team and who are my best players. Yeah. Yes. Who are my best players and what do and what do they bring to the table and what do they take off? Right. And. To me, it's not so much like playing bigger or smaller. That's a big part of it, of course. But Mike, I thought Darwin was going to skew more towards like defensive size, like defense and size and the relationship between those things. And there have been times where I think he skewed more offense than what I thought he was going to skew. So this goes back even to like earlier during the season where he was giving Matt Ryan a lot of chances to play, even when there were other options that were on the bench that could have maybe tried to solve the Lakers problems through defense, right? But instead he went offense. Like we need shooting. This -hmm. is our best shooter. We're going to play Matt Ryan. And there were successful groups with that. And now that the team does not have Anthony Davis, he is played more guards in the, I think in the hopes of like juicing up the offense and the offense has been juiced up over the last 10 games. The Lakers are ninth in offensive efficiency. And that's a trend that's basically been there over the last actually like 15, 16, 17 games where they have basically been a top 10 ish offensive team, but their defense has bottomed out. And over the last 10 games, they are 29th in defensive efficiency. And I don't know if this roster has the personnel to fix that necessarily, but I know that the lineups that have been playing are more skewed towards offense. So it's th- those groups aren't going to solve that problem at all. And so I, in, in terms of the Pete pitched it to me with like, this is a surprising thing, thing to me. And he's talking big versus small. And now I'm pitching it to you, Mike, with like, this is, a, this is a surprise to me. And it's like more offense than defense. Is there anything for you that's been a surprise or, or what do you take away from what me and Pete have said so far? I'm probably still in learning mode. I think that you need to have mm-hmm. a coach that has different rosters before you really know, you know, in terms of like a couple of seasons inter- until you mm-hmm. really know what their proclivities are. But I mean, we can certainly draw some conclusions just based on what he's chosen to do so far. And, and I, clearly that's what we're going to do. I listen to Darvin speak and I know, you know, Pete listens to a lot of these too um, from editing and, and looking at the video, but at least twice a day on game day. And then, you know, on practice days. And so I've heard many, many words, but a lot of those types of questions and comments are more topical to what is going on that day. You know, who's hurt? What happened in the second quarter? Um, How is this guy playing? And I haven't sat down for that one on one conversation with Darvin yet to just ask him that kind of question. And and then also try to parse out the 100 percent real answer and then the answer that all coaches, of course, have to keep a certain amount close to the vest to either protect their players or to protect you know what the franchise vision is. 
So it's it's sometimes difficult to know exactly what, and maybe the best thing to do is to look at who's actually playing. And if there's one thing that has surprised me as well, and it's, this is a similarity to what Darius said, is I think that when the team gets down, you know, Darwin seems to think or it seems to like to go to groups that sort of switch things up. And that has tended to be a small group that is an NBA trend at large, except that, you know, I do think that personnel matters so much in that context. Yes. If you're going to go smaller to try and whatever it is, pull the other team out or uh, get up and down in transition, then it's you're only really you can get back into a game, but then you're going to be giving up a lot in certain situations. And that to me, Pete has been the puzzle and trying to figure out, well, if, if Darwin had a couple of bigger wings and, you know, more reliable players, or if, like if Max Christie was two or three years older, you know, would he be mm-hmm. playing 37 minutes a night? And would that change some of what the quote unquote small ball stuff is? But that's been the one that I, I do want to ask him a little bit more directly on, but it's, I don't know. It almost seems moot in some context, in some context, because you're essentially asking for, you know, more, I guess, Damian Jones and, and Wendy Gabriel and, and less mm-hmm. one of the guards that is that is expecting to play like essentially shooter Westbrook Beverly, like one of those guys that was that, that feels like they deserve a certain amount of playing time, you know, and it's just that to me is a has been a tricky thing for Darwin to navigate this season. As someone who has a certain degree of fondness for small ball, now, again, I, I've said this over the championship years, there is no inherent benefit in playing smaller. The whole point of playing smaller typically is that you're more skilled and can cover more distance defensively. So I don't think that like, oh, being small, it's like it's basketball. The hoop is 10 feet uh, above the rim, like all things being equal, it's good. It's better to be bigger. And we're going to talk a little bit about this Orlando game tonight because we have a potentially humorous, at least in uh, Gallo's humor, matchup tonight uh, uh, on this topic. And so, like, I've <laughs> like playing small ball without forwards. I've never seen it done before. I'm somebody who always really enjoys different teams that kind of try to try something different basketball wise and Orlando is doing that. We're going to talk about that a bit in the second half of the pod, but really this build is so built around Anthony Davis and Darwin has spoken to that about AD being the key. But I, one of the reasons I've said that he's Atlas is that he's the guy that holds up the whole concept that whole, Hey, we've got mostly guards and we're going to play these three and four guard lineups is facilitated by, by Anthony Davis. And so going back to the idea of how do you deal with the problems that come up? Darius Darwin has a problem now that Anthony Davis is not there. He's not that singular talent that can hold down the fort in the middle of the paint. We've talked about a lot of what the five defensively is uh, asked to do in this type of defense. And Thomas Bryant can do very little of it. Um, but he is that he does help get that 17 and 10 a night with Anthony Davis out, which is really helpful. Like I, again, I want to emphasize that TB is super helpful and should be a part of this D, but I would also argue that you can't like, you have to fundamentally change how you play the whole concept. If Anthony Davis is going to be out because there is nobody else on the team that can, that can handle that much of the length and athleticism and size that allows you to have put a bunch of speedy guards out on the perimeter and still at least be competent at the things that you need. 
Yeah, I think you're 100% right, Pete, about about TB being a part of the solution. Um, but this is where we get back into the discussion about role players and what you bring to the table and then what you take off of the table. So Alex Caruso was a player who brought a bunch of things to, to the table but had a certain cap on those things that he brought, right? Defensively, I, I think that there was no cap, but offensively, there certainly was. But he took very few things off of the table so he was a he had a big he had a floor as a three-point shooter as a shot creator as someone who could like and he found a way to be effective in in all of these different ways even if he was never going to be a guy who could get you 18 and 7 or 18 and 8 the way that tb can at a consistent level right but tb takes all of these things off of the table defensively and part of the problem i think is that There is this relationship and it's like the human body, right? The way that your kidneys are totally related to your heart and these things work in tandem. And if your kidneys stop working, then there's going to be issues with your heart, like because it's not taking fluid away from your heart and all this other stuff. Right. And so Dr. Darius segment here. Versatility, Mike. I got versatility. So, (laughs) you know, this, this reminds me, I haven't brought up the Darius displeasure scale in a long time. Um, I, I feel like this is my fault. We've been talking about Jonathan Goldfarb f- some, but I, I do need a full Darius displeasure scale soon because there's been a lot of things that probably have made you mad. Um, but get back to this point. I, for I now. think after there's the a good o- chance that the rest of the season the provides game. opportunities. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> watch, just Anyways. watch Dennis Schroeder box out Bull Bull. Well, that may be a, a whole place on the displeasure scale. Lord have mercy. We may have a new entry. <laughs> There's this correlation between these things, right? And for the Lakers, defensively, there is there is this big correlation between what the asks are of your guards and what your big man has to do defensively in the scheme that Darvin Ham runs, right? So the guards need to get over the top of screens and they need to create back pressure. And if possible, they need to stay connected and actually get in the sidecar voluntarily in order to basically eventually get back in front of their man so Mm. that the big man who is in a massive drop peat can recover to his own man and not have to be the primary guy who is playing in center field the entire time, right? Your big man, but your big man has to be able to step up, contain, contest that shot, and then get back and rebound. And your guards have to be able to chase over the top, stay connected, contest from the back, and then box out and help out on the backboards. The Lakers are playing a big man who can't really contest guards who are coming downhill and attacking him and they're playing such small guards that they're having trouble creating back pressure and then battling on the backboards and so these so these two things are failing each other in the way that i just talked about with the heart and the kidneys right and so like this is where tb needs a certain amount of assistance defensively and i feel like the guards aren't helping TB as much because the guards are reliant on an Anthony Davis level defensive player to help him. These specific guards are. The guards are collectively small. I just think that there are some centers and they're so good offensively that, and they're big that you have to live with them at that position. And the primo example, of this would be Jokic mm-hmm. who's a generationally amazing offensive player but still in big moments and big playoff mm-hmm. series, you know, has, has been a, at least somewhat of a liability. Now, 
that even is a little bit unfair to him because he brings so much on the other end. But like you have to have certain types of personnel. Endeavor is getting closer to that, uh, right? With an Aaron Gordon, with like if Porter is actually healthy at the three and he's six ten, uh, and and some some other guys coming off the bench that can try to support him. But still, it's a question that they have to answer if they have to play the Warriors again. Oh, yeah. And all of a sudden, Steph just pulls Jokic out. Like that's that's the thing. The level below that would be like a Demonte Sabonis, who also excellent offensively and a great rebounder, which closes some possessions, but you can drive right at him mm-hmm. and you can finish over him and you can, that's just something that you can do. And you cannot have a, a great NBA defense with that. And in fact, let me look, I've got the last 10 games pulled up right now. Um, Sacramento has been a little better last 10 games. They've been 14th, um, but on the season defensive rating, Sacramento is 18th. And and by the way, Denver is 25th. Mm-hmm. So now when Anthony Davis is in there, you know, boom, everything's looking fine. He can protect the rim. But Thomas Bryant, to me, even though he doesn't, you don't think of him in the same context as Jokic or Sabonis, he is a little bit more like in the way that he reacts or doesn't mm-hmm. anticipate or or you can attack straight at him. He is a little bit more like that defensively, uh, Pete, if, if that's fair. Oh, it's absolutely fair. And that is the complete opposite of Anthony Davis. You're not going from Anthony Davis, a singular anomalous talent to a guy who's average at this. You're going from that anomalous talent to a guy where that's actually the re- the biggest weakness in his game, D. And so when you talk about the support that you need around TB, that be- becomes a question of what? So what kind of support do you need? Because Thomas Bryan is, is going to be helpful and has been helpful with Anthony Davis being out, but it just totally changes the game defensively. So let's take a quick break. When we come back, let's talk about some of the support needed there and then this Orlando game coming up this afternoon. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So here's the thing, Pete, is I don't know. I think the type of support that TB needs is almost you're not going to get it on this roster. And 
if you're and if you're trading for pieces in order to try to accommodate TB, like you've gone so far astray yeah, from no, what you your idea of team building is, right? My qu- and, my fundamental question is, what is the best we can do? Because basically, we we talked for five ten minutes there to basically say Thomas Bryant cannot run Darvin Ham's defense. Yeah. That's basically the, what we came out to. And that's a huge problem for a coach to have. And it plays to how rigid is a coach and how devoted are they to their scheme? Because it is a fundamentally different calculus with Thomas Bryant there versus Anthony Davis. So what's the best yeah, we can do? I, I actually think the Lakers need to play two two bigs that Wenyon and TB need to be more tied to the hip, right? And, and so I think that LeBron can... LeBron can play next to TB and he can provide some some of this. But if that's the case, you can't play three small guards next next to them. Right. Mm -hmm. And so like this is where the Lonnie Dennis Pat Bev. That's the challenge there. Like the Lakers do not have a forward. And I hate to keep hammering this point because we hammer it every single pod, but they need another forward. An actual forward. Now, I don't know. Maybe Troy Brown could slide in defensively, Pete, instead mm-hmm. of like Pat Bev or instead of Lonnie Walker. Like, I think um, low key, like a talking point that we need to hit back on is like Lonnie's defensive intensity decline. Yeah. That's happened over the last week and a half, two weeks, because he has not been the same player defensively. And now you're asking Pat Bev, who... It's just a trio of those three guys. Pete, right. It's like, not about them individually. That's one of the things that we can get caught up in is this guy does that individually. It's they're all three. Like none of those guys provide any degree of physicality. And so you're completely reliant on your other two players in the starting lineup in particular, who are LeBron and Thomas Bryant. LeBron has the capability to do that, but you are asking him to like to do it competently. You're asking him to fly all over the place. It's just not it's not reasonable to ask with his offensive burden in the season that he's in and whatnot and then a five that's like bad at the things that you're asking him to do so it's it's all bad it's, there's a reason we're giving up 130 a game yeah mike and so this is where it's like i do think there needs to be tweaks in the lineup but i like and this is where the idea of what are darvin's options this is where i do feel for him as a head coach right because okay you can replace pat bev with Wenyon, right? And so now you've got Wenyon, Bryant. Oh, great. That's the duo. I just said, play those, like, attach those guys at the hip a little bit. LeBron. Oh, LeBron. Okay, you're back playing at at the wing. You're a small forward now. And Dennis and Lonnie, right? So now Lonnie's a reasonably sized shooting guard. He's not big, but he's he's average sized. You're conventionally sized at the very least. Maybe even a little bit big with LeBron at the three. Yes, and then Dennis is a smaller point guard, but that's fine, right? Mm-hmm. But at that point, you're then saying, LeBron, you have to guard the other team's best wing regardless, right? Or it's Lonnie Walker who has to do that. And now, LeBron, you're going to have to chase around a shooting guard or maybe even a point guard, or you're going to have to slot Wenyon in a way where he has to guard one of those dudes. And you are now cross-matching in ways that you actually don't want to do. And you're actively potentially hurting yourself there too, Mike. And so this is where the options things comes, comes into play, where there actually aren't a lot of options that are on the table without reworking the starting lineup almost entirely in order to 
kind of retrofit the rest of your 48 minutes that are out there. Like, like, okay, well, these are the pairings that I actually like. And so maybe it should be Dennis and Austin and Troy Brown and LeBron and, and Damian Jones, who are the starters, right? Like, but that's like, wait, what are we doing here now, right? Like, that's not the group that we had in mind, but in order to build out lineups for the entire game, it's like the starting group is sort of pigeonholing the rest of the rotation in in a way that is tricky. And like, I tried to do an exercise on this the other day and like, honestly, I just stopped. My brain started to hurt too much because I'm just (laughs) like, where are these subs going to go? Who are these who are the right groupings and I couldn't get, get it. And so this is why I'm, I have grace for Darvin Ham because his options are limited and it's tricky. And a lot of it goes back to just the general shape of the roster and not having Anthony Davis and they're not being enough forwards. And we've hammered this point a bunch of times, but it's like, this is, this is what they have to deal with basically. Well, the amount of Optimal lineups uh, relative to what the roster is, is, is always something that I've thought is while valuable, a little bit, uh, a little bit unrealistic for an NBA season. Um, And it just because of all of the things that happen and all of the times that just guys have to play and have to figure something out um, because of the difference in the opponent or an injury or an illness. And especially these last three years, especially since the pandemic. And yeah, like at the beginning of the season and we do this, uh, you can you can script out what we what you think the perfect type mix is. And it's very rare, especially on this team, that that exists. And it certainly doesn't exist now. That doesn't mean that there isn't an optimal lineup. And I'll let I'll let Pete, who I'm sure has some more thoughts on what that is, get to that. But Darius, in while you were speaking right there, it was making me think back to my freshman year of college. And I was on a bad uh, soccer team at Northwestern. And we were, I've, I've told parts of this story before, but we were in, in a tough conference in the big 10 and uh, were lower funded relative to the rest of the teams. I think we had one scholarship at the time. The team later ended up getting five after they added women's lacrosse, which was, which was better. And now they're better, but so it was not a very talented team. And, you know, you guys know me, I've, 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 um, I've sort of revealed before some of my over competitive traits. What? And, and, and so, you know, there's a certain level when you're on the, and this is, I'll relate this obviously to what's going on this later season where, you know, you have in your mind, there's a certain amount of, of lack of belief that comes in and starts to, to affect things, even for the most competitive people on the planet. And I would, it's not like you're ever going to give up. I was out there sprinting my ass off, but it's, it just all seems futile when you, when you, when you don't have enough. To win games, uh, it's it, certainly on a consistent basis. There's sometimes everything comes together and you play a little better, and maybe you get a little luck, and something happens. But that, to me, is the biggest part of all of this discussion. Where some of these op- lineups that aren't that optimal, and you just mentioned Lonnie uh, Darius, like I think there's it's just it affecting these guys to know that Davis isn't out there, and to know that when they're trying to execute certain things, it's not really going to help that much because there's no help waiting um, at the rim, and so that. That collective drop of intensity is so much more important than who's playing next to whom. 
uh, and 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 that to me is is the biggest story of what's happened um, in the last couple of games. It, it is absolutely the biggest thing. Like once a team loses morale, nothing else matters, and none of the scheme, none of the lineups, and all of that. And but that's part of the reason why I'm so passionate about the importance of your lineups being optimized, of your scheme matching the lineups that you have. Basically, are you asking your players to do things that they can do? And below a certain talent point, like yeah, and there's no version of this team, especially without AD, with the roster that we have that isn't a little bit more overmatched in certain places. And I want to turn attention to Orlando in a, in a moment. But that's part of the reason why, Mike, is that like if you continually ask players to do things that they cannot do, like fight this battle that you cannot win. And sometimes that's just a matter of pure talent. But sometimes it's like you're asking a player to do something that that's not why he's in the NBA. And the more small guys that you have, like somebody got to put a body on someone. Someone has to provide a certain level of physicality. Someone's got to battle on the boards and whatnot. And when you're asking guys that that's not what they do to do that, like the lack of success that comes from that is, is important. And so that's one of the reasons why it's super important that that Darwin is able to find the best version. Again, every team's job is to just get the best version of their current selves. And so we have to find that as quickly as possible because that's absolutely dropping D, that sort of uh, morale. And so I'd love to hear your thoughts on that uh, before we move on, D. No, I think that both you and Mike, and here I am in Switzerland again, I think that both you and Mike are right that the that the erosion of morale is what's sapping the team's ability to play to the level in which like they're capable of playing and and so like i think the lonnie example is is a great example of this like he could just play better but he's lost focus and part of the reason why you could Mm -hmm. argue that he's lost focus is because like like the outcome seems like oh well we're going to lose or we're not good enough and that takes away from your ability to focus and play to your whole level or what you're fully capable of. But to Pete's point, I think that you you have to then foster morale when you know that it's on the decline and you have to skew even more towards like, what can we do to put these players in the best position to succeed time after time after time in order to make sure that that little morale meter that's on the side right there, like like you're playing a video game and, and it's your health meter, that that doesn't drop too far low to the critical levels because once you're at that level, you're gone forever. Very hard. And, yep. you're, and yep. you're bound to lose, Mike. And, and so I think that finding ways to optimize this group. And if it does take drastic changes, I think that you have to you have to try to move in that direction in order to keep your team believing in what they're doing because once they lose belief, it's all gone. For sure. And I and I also agree with Pete's point. So this is it's uh it's not even so much a that you're representing the Swiss in this situation, Darius. It's like it's both things are true. Yeah. Right. And and I'm just thinking the switch was like the main thing that we were looking at earlier was okay. Just play Max Christie over Kendrick Nunn in the in the with the backcourt in the or like off the bench, and then you're you're bigger in that one in that sort of one key spot. Mm-hmm. Everybody else has been playing, so it's just like if you play I, other than really Damian Jones, but now he's had to play at least some. I know he only played two minutes last game, and and that could be part of the plan. But I'm. Uh, in the starting lineup, which Jerry, as you wrote about uh, for Lakers.com, three things like that. Who is the person other than other than having to put LeBron at the three? And that to me is not something 
that is super sustainable over the course of the season, unless there's a type of scheme and maybe Pete, you have one in mind um, where you can still sort of fight him on the corner or like he has, and now guys, he has to do so much offensively with Anthony Davis out and he's been doing it. He scored 30 points in seven straight games. And then you're also going to ask him to be like a, a, in his prime wing, getting out to the perimeter and switching and getting like, I just, that to me is where, how do you get bigger if you want to keep LeBron um, at the four, mm-hmm. you know, uh, unless you're just playing like, that's why I like the two bent, the two bigs off the bench where Bryant and Gabriel are playing, playing together. And in that sense, maybe you just live with Damian Jones, even yes. if he's going to make some mistakes and maybe Pete, that's the answer. And you start, start, start Jones next to LeBron and then play the two bigs off the bench together. That, that's exactly where I arrive. Basically, the point earlier about Thomas Bryant not being able to run the defense that Darvin wants to run is critical because that's the most posi- important position in the defense that Darvin wants to run. And so if we want to maintain with the starters in particular that type of deep drop, like Damian Jones is the guy that can give you some aerial aerial protection that can provide some of what Anthony Davis provided. Now, there's going to be a downside to that too, but to me, the like the best option right now is to go conventionally sized with the starting lineup. So Dennis and Lonnie in the backcourt, I'm fine with that. You could you could take Lonnie out if you want. I think that he would take that badly, and I think that that wouldn't be my option. I agree. And then uh, Troy Brown back at the three, um, because he's the guy that allows you to uh, that allows LeBron to not do that. So you got Jones at the five spot that can do run some of those drop coverages and TB being the guy that means that LeBron doesn't have to do the things that you were saying wouldn't be a good idea to do. I totally agree with you on on that, Mike. And then the bench group. And it's also like, how does it play in with the bench group? Right. And so to me, that's what I have an eye on pretty closely in this little stretch is that group group of Russ, Wenyon, and TB. That to me is like the the backbone of the style of play of that group. Um, that And with Austin, of course, and he's another guy, like he's our second best player right now. And so uh, where does he fit into these lineups as well? But like that hair, run like your hair is on fire group. That's something I'm really keeping an eye on is does Russ really push the pace with the group? Because those guys have shown the ability to do that. And so that to me, D, is kind of where I land on like what is the best option right now is like if you and I totally get like you don't want to break and completely switch the defense that you've been running all year, but then put the guy at the five spot that can do that. And then with the bench groups, that's where you have more of that guard rebounding with Russ. That to me is just kind of like the the best of a bunch of bad options is to is TB and Jones in the starting lineup with Troy Brown and Damian Jones in the starting lineup and then TB and Wendy and off the bench. Yeah. And this is where. um this is where I'm going to both agree and say like, oh my goodness, look at this lineup that we're proposing with Dennis and Lonnie and Troy Brown, who has basically not been very good offensively in mm-hmm. a lot of his recent shifts. And then Damian Jones, who has had his struggles offensively as well. And then yeah. and then those are the guys that you surround LeBron James and Dennis Schroeder and Lonnie Walker with. And then the lift on those three guys is is very high. But that's what the lift is anyway without AD. And then we're back at square one with like, oh, well, damn it. It would be nice to have the guy who was playing like an MVP for that stretch, that stretch of the season. Let's shift to Orlando, though, because Orlando, I think, Pete, they are going to test Darvin's resolve. I think in terms of like how many of these small guys can you play together at the same time? Because Orlando is able. Did did you guys play Red Rover when you were a kid? 
uh-huh. the game Red Rover, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I bet Mike was the oh, guy who game. was like, you know, like just running through guys yeah. and dis- dislocating yeah, yeah. elbows this and stuff like that. Launching yes. himself through their line. <laughs> Can you explain what Red Rover is to uh, people who have not played? Yes, and, and so basically it's you and all your classmates and you have locked arms or connected arms and you make this long line. And your class is divided in two. So on my side, it's me and 10 of my buddies and we're on one side. And on the other side, it's, you know, the all the people that you hopefully don't like as much who are on the other side in order to foster that competition that Mike always loves. And you're holding hands and you say, Red Rover, Red Rover, send Mike on over. And and then what Mike does is is he runs at you. And tries to break the daisy chain of of your arms. And if Mike can do it, then he wins or whatever. And if he can't, then, you know, then you keep playing and you send the next guy over. And so I was thinking about Red Rover. Goldfarb right over. <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh, we're clotheslining Goldfarb. He might beat me in chess. You're not beating me in that. <laughs> so I was thinking about Red Rover, Mike and Pete, when I was thinking about Orlando. Because if you line up Franz Wagner and Bull Bull... <laughs> and Paolo Bancaro and say, like, th- their Red Rover, you, if they hold hands, they're probably going to cross the entire damn court, just those three, like, f- from sideline to sideline, and it's just those three guys. And so they've got a ton of long, versatile, and, like, sort of weirdly athletic dudes like bull bull being the best version of that like or encapsulates that idea the most but even bancaro who is sort of like this weird like carmelo and like young mellow 2.0 sort of dude where it's just like but he's an on ball like initiator yeah yeah like six like six nine six ten like 250 and just like strong as a bull and it's just Mm -hmm. like like the Lakers have no one for a guy like that besides LeBron. Like LeBron's a dude who could guard him, but it's just like physically the only other guys on the team who even match up with him physically are like Wenyon and Thomas Bryant in their own way. Like, and there's just a ton of those dudes. And so talk, both of you just chime in. Where are you at with Orlando and like this plethora of big wings, this just massive team over there and the Lakers are going to have a bunch of guards trying to defend these guys and how does darvin try to navigate this and negotiate this part of things well so orlando is who orlando is right now because they made a great trade and they dumped vucevic and got two first round picks and wendell carter from chicago carter is better in my opinion than vucevic um, just as sort of an all-around option vuce is another one of those players i mentioned earlier um, that just can't play defense. Um, and, and yet like he has some offensive skills, certainly, but they haven't, they haven't sort of correlated much with net rating. I think he was a minus 10 in the season with Orlando when they traded for him. And then they got Franz Wagner with the first one of those lottery picks. Um, and he's really good. And then they have another lottery pick coming. So that's part of it. And of course, then they win the lottery and get lucky, um, and get Bancaro. And they have all these other big long guys around him, which is more the philosophy of John Hammond, who of course comes over from Milwaukee. Um, and, and that's kind of like part of what he likes. And, and I wouldn't even call them big wings, Darius. I mean, they're like, these are more like four fives. Yep. Um, that, and then, you know, I guess Ben Caro is certainly a big wing, but he's not, you know, not in the pure sense of like the three and D wing. He's more like a, like a power forward that has ball skills. Sure. But the way these guys play, Mike, is just like, they play like wings. So Bull Bull is like, he's 
doing Euro steps in like low gathers from the three point line and then finishing with yeah. finger rolls at the basket. Like this dude is unreal in terms of his highlight tape. Like his highlight clips are amazing. It's like, oh, I love Bull and, Bull. And Wagner and Van Carroll too. Yes. Yeah. And, the, and yeah. And they're all they're all that big. And then they play like not, they've been one of the things that's been funny is that what they've been they lost nine in a row at the end of November. And then they've starting on December 7th, beat Clippers, beat the Raptors twice, beat the Hawks, beat the Celtics twice, lost a one point game to Atlanta and then uh, beat Houston and beat San Antonio. And the Lakers are up next. So they're they have kind of figured some things out. Like Cole Anthony is back after being out for a while. Fultz is playing. Those are the two guards they play, and both of them are pretty physical. Uh, Fultz is certainly a bigger guard. And then everybody else is just long. And it's a it's a very difficult matchup for a Lakers team that has loved to go small recently. A. And then B, LeBron just absolutely brutalizing Dallas at the rim on Christmas, he's not going to be able to do that right. in that same context. There's just, there's a lot of big bodies and a lot of big arms in there to deter that. And so they're, they're basically trying to make teams beat them over the top. And then they're just getting out with all these guys that you can't match up with and offensive rebounding. And so, yeah, Pete, it's, it's a, it's weird when you, you think of the game against Miami, who's been banged up and not playing well. And like Bam and Butler were both out last game. Like to me, even though it's the second night of a back-to-back, I almost look at that as like, well, maybe that's the one on mm. these two that you try to get, <laughs> uh, you know, it's a, it, which, which goes against what you would just think typically if you weren't watching league pass, you know, and you just saw, you looked at the standings and you saw Orlando at 13 and 21, you know, uh, you wouldn't think that this game, which, most games, though, right now are going to be difficult yeah, it, for what, where the Lakers are at. Yeah, no, but they're playing well and they play right into – like it has, it has a chance to be kind of a comical game tonight because, you know, Franz Wagner is six foot ten, and uh, he'll be, what, guarded by Lonnie Walker? Uh, Boncaro, you know, who do we have on him? You know what I'm saying? Like we just run out of guys and there's a lot of poss- potential for like, yeah, a 6'2 guy guarding a 6'10 guy kind of all over the place and you just run out deep. So no, Pat Bev is very likely to guard Bancaro to start, Oof. right? I'm just saying, or no, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. It's either Bancaro or Bull Bull. Oh yeah. All right. So- <laughs> <laughs> we got to wrap up. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow to see how that goes. <laughs> we shall see. Uh, but until then, you've been listening to the Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic got it. Magic fires. It's good. The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, two one. Miss it. It's over. Shot clock now to five. Bryant. Yes. And the 
with a little tap to Alvin Gentry. That insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.